Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with your hosts, Jake and Randy, discussing all things freestyle frisbee and whatever else that comes up. Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. Hey, Randy, how's it going? Hey, Jake, I'm doing great. I actually just got back from a backpacking trip in the Olympic Mountains, and it is always just awesome to have that experience. It's like you just got to unplug and let nature do its soothing, soul-fulfilling thing, and you come out of there, and it is just, it's almost like, you know, you get done with a three hour jam. It's that same kind of feeling. But one of my favorite things when you come out of these backpacking trips is it's so, you know, you put on this 50 pound pack on your back. Well, maybe not 50 pounds, but you come out and you get to the end of the trail and you take off the backpack and you have a cold beer that you have (laughs) stashed in the trunk of your car. It's like, it tastes so good. So I was thinking that a great poll would be what is your favorite post jam beverage? Yeah, I totally agree. There's something about that moment when you've just expended so much energy that you're just exhausted. And then you take that sip of whatever it happens to be. It's like one of the most satisfying moments in life. So yeah. What is your post jam beverage? Is it also a cold beer? Same as on your hike? Well, I, I would actually have to say water. There's nothing like, <laughs> cold water when you're just ready to just re requenchify. I'm not even sure if that's a word. Requenchify. That's a good word. I like that word. Um, yeah. But yeah, water, water is my go-to post jam beverage. Yeah. How about you? Yeah. I'm, I'm going to go with the pickle juice. We talked about this last time, but oh, uh, yeah. and I love pickle juice, but I can only drink it in small sips because it's really strong unless I've got that salt deficiency and then I can just pound it. That is so. still so weird to me, Jake. <laughs> I, I'm a weird guy. That's why you like having me around. Come no, <laughs> yeah, hey, birds of a feather, birds of a feather, no doubt about it. Well, uh, we got a pretty cool episode today. Um, it is a couple of folks that I think you're going to let us know more about. I'm very excited about the, our interview for today. We have a, a couple of women. Uh, so we've been talking to a lot of great men from freestyle frisbee pass but today we're talking to uh, one of the best freestyle frisbee women's team of all time uh, they both were playing in the early 80s and they're from colorado they kind of came up during the era of the coloradicals but they just have such power and grace combined together they really turn heads so they're one of my favorite teams to watch on video and so uh, i want to welcome in carolyn hubbard and stacy mccarthy thank you guys we're excited to be here thank you that's that's quite an honor <laughs> And, and this is Stacy's well, voice, just so everyone knows. Thank you. And, and this is and this is Yabi. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't we just jump in and ask you guys, how did you get started in Frisbee in the first place? How did it all start? Carolyn, I'll let you start since you were kind of a mentor to me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, um, I started uh, my Frisbee journey in 1979. I was a freshman at CSU. Uh, Fort Collins, and my roommate said, hey, there's this Frisbee tournament happening. Um, we lived in the towers as a freshman in, in one of the towers, and below us was the recreation area and this field, and we went out there, and the first thing I saw was 
Doug and Bill freestyling and they did their signature co-op and I was like, what the heck? And from that moment on, we joined the Frisbee Club. At that time, it was the Grateful Disc Frisbee Club and joined and met some incredible people. And following that that next year, we just played nonstop. I started playing Ultimate originally and uh, learned how to throw and catch. But Ultimate was brutal. And um, But I, I really wanted... And I was inspired by freestyle and I just started learning how to delay the disc and playing and throwing and catching. And then the next thing I know, you know, uh, we started, I started to compete in tournaments and meet other people. And um, I think in, uh, what was it, 1980, I went to Santa Cruz. I went to the U.S. Open. I didn't compete in 80. Then I, I was just doing kind of local tournaments, met like, you know, Rose and Maggie and a few other people and just kind of went from there and was just obsessed. Like every day, just couldn't wait to play. I, I played with Erica Compton in 81 and Maggie in 82 at uh, Santa Cruz and uh, got a taste of the stage and the atmosphere and the the freestyle was just happening then there was so much going on um people were switching to sky stylers that kind of thing the coloradicals were you know of course was a big uh influence and um mentorship and then stacy i think you came along like 81 you started playing and, tra <laughs> and traveling and I can remember Stacy doing, you know, a uh, hundred thousand scarecrow catches, you know, like that was her move and a bad attitude. And I think there was some other catch that you did repetitively. And then, and then we just started playing together. We were um, two women. We had the fever, we had the bug. So, and it kind of went from there. We just uh, started working on routines and getting prepared for the next tournament. So that was kind of a little bit my journey. <laughs> Interesting. So Stacy, did you live in Fort Collins as well? So I was a little bit different. I came to, yes, I, I went to Colorado State as well. And I came from Florida on a swimming scholarship. So the way I found freestyle, you know, my whole life, I had grown up in a very regimented sport, swimming four hours a day in a pool, you know getting up at the crack of dawn, swimming in a cold pool for two hours and then two hours in the afternoon. And, uh, it was, you know, having coaches and it was a very demanding type of sport. And I, my, I think it was my sophomore year. And, and also my freshman year, I was pretty lonely and homesick. And all I was doing was swimming. And, you know, it was a big change for me being in altitude and I wasn't extremely happy, but I came back my second year. And in September, when the school year was starting, the Coloradicals did a demo and at, on campus. And I saw this, these guys playing and I was like, oh my God, this is so beautiful. This is amazing. And I met them and of course had a big old crush on all three of them, just I, it was just more admiration. But then I, I met Rick, and you know when a, a, a girl and a boy have uh, admiration for each other, then you want to work really hard to impress them. So that was my beginning, is really 
learning how to delay and trying to impress, you know, a guy to to be able to hang out in this community. And the other thing that drew me to it is coming from a regimented sport. I loved this idea of working really hard, being really disciplined with the sport to get better without a coach, without anyone telling me what time I had to go practice, how long I had to go practice, what I had to do in that practice. I got to make it all up myself and just really have mentors and watch and really cultivate my own uh, style and use what my strengths were and work on my weaknesses in it. So it was really appealing to me, the sport as a whole of self-expression and and creativity that I didn't have in a very regimented sport. So I, I would say my beginning was part of it was the freedom of the sport. And the other part were, were all the cute guys. And there was hardly any girls at all. It was just a lot of cute guys. <laughs> awesome. That is true. The, the ratio was, was in our favor. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Well, that's interesting that you talk about uh, being drawn to the freedom of the sport. Cause when we talked to Bill Wright, he said the exact same thing that he, he really was drawn to freestyle because of that non-regimented aspect and not having to be coached. I think anyone who comes from a, an, and Doug Brannigan, he was a wrestler, and, and Rick was a basketball player. I mean, we came from these very traditional sports of coaches and everyone telling you what to do. And freestyle was so young and fresh, and you, you felt like a pioneer of really getting to explore this whole new dynamic way of moving and working with a partner in this very tight knit community that you knew were going to be friends for life. And, and that was a big part of it. So when was the first year that you guys got together and started playing? Very soon after that. I, I mean, literally, as I said, it was mostly guys and Carolyn was like, the the gal there were other women playing but carolyn had this grace and this flow that for me i wanted to emulate and and emulate because i was very athletic and strong and i didn't really have that i wanted to to learn more of the grace and the flow that she had so i was really drawn to her style of play because it was very different as as carolyn mentioned i would i could stand there and do a scarecrow like a hundred times. And I would, I was very disciplined in my practice. For me, always looking for people that you can mentor that are going to make you better is what I was looking for. And, and, and she was also just a very calm presence. I mean, she, you know, she's got a very Zen presence, anyone who knows her. And, and so that also was, you know, I was kind of drawn to her in that way. You know, I wanted more of that. Yeah. Thank you. So Carolyn, what was your athletic background before freestyle? Well, Interesting enough, um, I grew up in the, almost the same environment. Um, from the time I was five years old, I was in a swimming pool. My dad was a swim coach. My mom taught toddlers how to swim. So we were six days out of the week in the pool, um, sometimes twice a day practicing. Summers we swam um, outdoors in Colorado, you know, 6 a.m., <laughs> swim practice outdoors was not fun but um I, I had that same background of discipline swimming every day uh working out uh traveling and you know your swim team was your family um for many years so by the time I got to and I should backtrack too 
when you're at a swim meet all day, the kids would wait for their, you know, their, their event. And I would see girls tumbling, like running round, you know, round off back handspring, doing all this gymnastics. And that I wanted to do that also. And, and I would beg my parents for gymnastics lessons and dance lessons. And they would, they would appease me, but they made it clear that that really wasn't, you know, my thing, or they were interested. They wanted me to keep swimming, which I did. And I loved it. It, It's, it's, um, I think swimming, that kind of sport sets you up for life. Um, it, it helps you in many ways through your life. So having that swimming discipline and then the dance background, the gymnastics background just all came together um, later when I discovered freestyle because, yeah, there's that aspect of creativity, but yet you have to be really willing to stick with freestyle because this incredible learning curve is really difficult. And I think having that background helped me, you know, I saw something in freestyle that just triggered this passion and all that other work behind me in my, my childhood helped me just pursue that. And uh, so it was interesting when Stacy and I connected, we both have this background of swimming. That was unique. That was a unique thing. And we're at this age of this new sport and being on campus and the radicals were just these superstars and traveling with them and meeting all these other superstars. It just fed into itself and it became our life. And like Stacy said, you know, you, you knew that this was a, a pioneering thing and it was special and, you know, just, I don't know, just lucky in a way. <laughs> and uh, it, it changed my life for sure. I was going to add to that. I think also since Carolyn and I have this the similar background, when you're a swimmer, you're in a pool by yourself. It's an individual sport. You're either looking at a black line or you're looking up at the sky. Freestyle Frisbee was all about partnerships and working together and this creative model that you had together and it was so different for women back then. I mean, I was a title nine baby. And if you don't know what title nine is, title nine was the passing of women's sports getting equal opportunity. So I was on that edge of the first women to get a full ride athletic scholarship. You know, women didn't get that. We only really had choices of primarily individual sports back then. And so the opportunity to work with somebody and have this more team-like feeling was so fresh and fun. That, for me, was a big calling to freestyle. So obviously, the Coloradicals had a big influence on your game. Do you remember when you started putting together routines and exploring musicality? And and who kind of led that process between the two of you? Or was it a combined experience? I would say, well, here's what I would say from, you know, and everyone's memory is different. I would say initially, Carolyn definitely led us because I really, I mean, I jumped into this so quickly. I mean, we won the world championships in Santa Cruz in 1983. I'd only been playing about a year, really. And, And as I said, I was very disciplined. I would practice my Carolyn said I had like three primary moves but boy did I practice them and I built my repertoire from there so I would say initially she 
she was definitely the leader in, because I didn't really understand it as much, um, putting the music together. And, and yeah, I would have my input and we had a similar taste, but she definitely led. And then as we progressed through the years, um, it was more of a mutual partnership. But I would say initially, she's the one that really taught me because I did not know. I mean, I, I just looked for people that I admired and that were good and listened to them. And that's the advice I would say. I mean, hopefully more women are going to come up and, and you know, play more freestyle. Look for people you admire and do what they do, <laughs> you know, until you develop your own style. I mean, at first you really have to, what, what I say is, you know, you have to educate yourself first. You have to learn how, what is, you know, what is it that you're doing? Then you've got to integrate it into your own body and how you move. And then after that point, you can start innovating, but you, to start off innovating on your own is very, very difficult. You know, find that mentor first and model after them and then integrate it, get it really into your system. What can you do? How do you do it? And then, you know, the world is your own of, of expressing yourself and innovating in this, in this, uh, practice of freestyle Frisbee. So Stacey, yeah, you're that, saying Carolyn was yeah. your, was your role model. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In the, in the beginning. In the beginning. You know, she was throughout. I mean, quite honestly, she was throughout. Oh. Yeah, I would really say you were. And I'd say that, of course, Bill, Doug, and Rick were huge influences. And I think for both of us, you know, if we moved down the line from Colorado, Carolyn and Doug moved to Palm Springs. Rick and I moved to San Diego. And then we had this big influence of Southern California with Larry Imperiali and... Um, uh, Jim Benson, who used to be Jim Schmall. And, you know, there was, mm -hmm. I, I lived with Larry, uh, Rick and Jim for a while. And mm -hmm. so then I had this whole influence of, of Jim Benson and Larry and, and Rick and I, you know, playing at La Jolla Cove and then, you know, Doug and Carolyn coming over from the desert. So, oh my God, you're talking about some, the best in the world and getting to play with the best in the world. And then Peter Laubert lived here. I mean, and uh, oh, the list goes on and on of the amazing players that we were influenced with here. Dave Schiller and, you know, and then Amy Beckin moved here. I mean, it just went on and on. <laughs> yeah, San Diego became a, an epicenter at that uh, time for sure. The La Jolla Cove Jammers, uh, every Friday for years, my whole life was scheduled around Friday afternoons at La Jolla Cove. It was magical. It was the most beautiful spot. It felt like we were on the French Riviera every Friday afternoon. Sometimes there'd be 20 of us out there jamming, sunset. Um, people would come from all over. I mean, it was a really magical time. I was one of those people that you came were from one all of over. Them, you were there. <laughs> yeah, I show up and we jam at the at the cove and then go up to Jose's. Is that what it was? The Mexican <laughs> restaurant and food and it was an amazing it, time. It was. Amazing. It was heaven. <laughs> yeah, it truly was heaven. I arranged my entire life around freestyle frisbee. I moved to San Diego because it was the hot spot. A freestyle frisbee. I got a job at the Good Earth restaurant, my favorite vegetarian restaurant, which literally was mm -hmm. up the stairs from La Jolla Cove. I arranged my schedule so I was off at three o'clock to make sure I was down at the Cove by three to jam the rest of the evening. I lived, like I said, with Larry, Rick, and Jim. You couldn't get, you know, better roommates to jam with. I mean, it was really such a special time. And then 
you know, fast forwarding, and I'm kind of jumping around. We, you know, here in San Diego, there was so many opportunities to jam. I mean, uh, we worked at uh, SeaWorld. Uh, Rick and I had a gig at SeaWorld for a long time called City Streets, where we were in this show with um, the top BMX bikers, the top freestyle skateboarders, with uh, aerial artists, with music, singing and dancing. And we did this show, I mean, getting paid um, to do these shows three times a day, you know, and it was so fun to be able to make a living at this sport when you're in your early 20s of doing what you love. I mean, it, it, it was a magical time. I'm going to steer you guys back to the earlier days. So as the team is, you, you're coming together, you're now obviously partners. How, how did choreography start coming to you guys as a team? Well, I would say, first of all, um, we're both counter spin. So that made life a little bit easier to work on co-ops, just to have that structure and that base. Being able to crank Z's to Stacy and her reciprocate the same level reciprocate was critical to even get anything started as you know helped in the big picture i would say for me and the you know uh with the outside influences i always started with the music whatever caught my attention or i felt magical you know it was like okay we're going to use this music and go from there and then we would just kind of it was pretty organic the 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 way we would put things together, we would, you know, break it apart, do this co-op and see if we can build and merge the second co-op, whatever it was. Um, we always wanted to have a big beginning, power beginning. So we would improvise and do cartwheels. <laughs> cartwheels was our always go-to. You can always uh, throw in a cartwheel here or there. And then I would say breaking it down, having a beginning, a middle, and end. That was kind of the goal. Our, my strengths, my catches, uh, you know, my, what I knew that I could be 100% every time, that would kind of help the co-op, the flow go. And usually it was, you know, I throw to Stacy, she does something, something back to me, set up for a catch. It was very quick, staccato kind of movement back in the early days. Um, I, I didn't have much of a wind game or a clock game, so I don't know how to describe it other than that we just kind of, you know, just threw it together and see what happens. And So was, was the music uh, a big part of it, or was it just kind of going with the vibe of the music? The music was a big part. I mean, we choreographed. We spent a lot of time listening to music, editing music, and it wasn't easy back then, and mm. playing to the music. I mean, we worked hard, and we learned that, again, from the Coloradicals, because they were masters at it, of really putting together dynamic mu mu uh, music that had a certain vibe and element to it. It had a crescendo that would build. It would start off softer, and it would build, and then it would bring you back, back down. So there was like this uh, uh, kind of peak to the prep to the uh flow that we would do and so we spent a lot of time on music and as carolyn mentioned in our early days we looked at executing like you know that maybe it was shorter combos that we did together uh it wasn't until i think both of us got to california that we learned how to add more of a wind game to it but initially 
it, w- it was the shorter, you know, play off each other and make sure that we ended it with catches that we knew <laughs> that we were going to catch. <laughs> Otherwise, it would break. It would break the whole flow, right? Because if sure. you missed it or the other person got it, then you had to think, okay, what was next? We missed it. We're off the music. Hey, here comes this part in the music. What's up next? Mm-hmm. We got it. You know, we would know right when that middle was. Here comes the middle. Here we go. This is what happens here. Here comes the ending. We know we've got a thirty-second warning. We've got to get to that. So we worked a lot with music. It wasn't haphazard. Yeah, no, no, it's obvious when you look at your routines that it was definitely incorporated. How did you resolve differences during that creative process? We never argued. (laughs) (laughs) Yay! I don't really think we did. I really don't remember us arguing about stuff or I think our goals were pretty much the same. Just execute and be as perfect or flawless as you can. And also I think there is a you know, with a woman to woman there, we were very supportive because there wasn't many of us. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we knew we had to support, I mean, we supported all the women in the game. It's just, there was so few of us that you had to bring each other up. So I don't think we ever got down on each other at all, no matter, I mean, I had, you know, especially in the early days, I would throw away so many throws. Carolyn would never get mad. I mean, some horrific throws that I would give her uh, never would get mad at all. And, and, and so I, and I modeled that it's like, okay, you don't get mad. You know, you don't, you don't get angry at it. Whereas I think sometimes with guys, um, you know, maybe they do get a little more upset and even with mixed pairs, I mean, Rick and yeah. I certainly would get angry at each other. And find <laughs> that was different for sure. <laughs> yeah. Mixed is a little different for sure. Yeah. Um, so what would you say the percentage of your routine was choreographed versus spontaneous? Oh gosh, I'd say 90%. Yeah. Okay. We, we, we would have a plan and of course things would go awry sometimes, you know, wild catch or throw or the wind would take the disc. But, um, we, I like to have a plan, um, whatever I'm creating, I, I want to know exactly what's going to happen next, especially with music. It's so important because you do practice for those key moments in music or, you know, catching right at the end of the song perfectly. Um, I would say a high percentage. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. I mean, we we went in with a plan. I mean, we're when you're outside, you're dealing with nature. So you already have enough factors that can take you in a different direction. So if you have a clear plan, at least you know where you're going and you know where you can get back to. If, if you leave it haphazard, I, I think in, in freestyle, you have too many other components, you know, the wind, the ground, what, there's so many things that can happen that it, it can look really messy without having some sort of plan of what you're going to do. I've always found it very interesting that some people like a plan and some people don't like a plan. Some people like to just kind of have it be loosey goosey and they feel comfortable there and others really just like to know exactly where things are going and that's where they find their comfort zone. So I'm curious, Jake, what is, where's your comfort zone? Yeah, it's a good question. I I think I prefer, actually, I'm sure I prefer to have a plan. I'm more of a 100% choreography from beginning to end type of guy. And even though I really like jamming spontaneously, uh, the reason I like having a plan in competition is I find that 
when I compete spontaneously, I, I end up doing a lot of repetitive moves and I don't always get in those specific, really hard, I got to show this off moves. So when I've got a plan, I know that I get to everything. Yeah, I, I think I might have to concur. There is a, there's the jamming spontaneous thing that you just can't replicate that is a joy. But when you're competing, having a plan really allows you to show the depth and breadth of your game instead of just sort of getting caught in doing the same few moves over and over, which can definitely happen if you're in spontaneous mode and competing. When you have a plan, you can do a lot more music choreography, you can have outfits, you can do a lot more storytelling. Your routine can be more than just about the freestyle. It can be about audience engagement and, and just telling a story. And you can't really do that spontaneously, I don't think. Yeah, I, I agree. I think you lose your, your artistic chances or choices uh, when you just go spontaneous. When you have a plan, you can start to flesh out what being an artist is uh, beyond just you know, the move. Yeah, totally. Uh, well, hey, so today is the finals day for FPA Worlds 2017 in Udine. We're live streaming it. How cool yes, is that? That's very cool. I hope everybody's been able to enjoy the live stream. So if this is a post-recording, I hope you got to see it recorded. If you're watching it live, how great is that? Uh, so uh, if you're enjoying it, we just want to say, hey, please support us. Go up to our website, frisbeeguru.com, and donate. That's what helps us do the live stream. That's what helps us do the podcast. That's what helps us keep the website going. So your support makes all the difference. Yeah, indeed. And it's uh, been a pleasure talking to you again this week, Jake. Uh, I look forward to our next experience. Me too. Thanks, Randy. I'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. To contact us or for more info, check us out at frisbeeguru.com.